welcome back to the Casting Light Podcast. Here at the Casting Light Podcast, we talk about lighting, the people that do it, and how they do what they do. We're on the web at castinglightpodcast.com, on Instagram at podcastinglight, we tweet at podcastinglight, and you can find us on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. Today on the Casting Light Podcast, we have Cha C. She is a lighting designer for stage and environment. She is a graduate of the College of St. Benilde. She's also a graduate of NYU Tisch. She designed the critically acclaimed What to Send Up When It Goes Down, One in Two, and Houseplant, among dozens of other new theater works. She's also the creator of the C Lighting Foundation. Cha, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. Meets a lot to be seen and heard. Thank you for having me. You've had a pretty big impact in the time you've been working professionally. Um, you've done some really important works, uh, works I'm really looking forward to talking to you about. But you've been in the business for not a whole lot of years now, right? Well, I started when I was in Manila, Philippines. I was 19. I graduated college very early. So I did some freelancing work. And then I was really looking for something, but I don't know the answer to what I was looking for. I don't know if if you've ever experienced that, like lighting design in the Philippines is there's no idea of collaboration or process. It's just like, oh, let's light a show. So, you know, from 19 to 25 years old, I was freelancing, doing corporate theater, fashion, but I didn't know what I was looking for. Like I had so many questions that no one can answer. Like, what is the first step when you receive a script like what do you do as a lighting designer no one's understanding my questions because no one is actually a professional lighting designer i went to japan singapore just looking for an answer and by answer i found it i was like well i need to further my education and at that time when i was 25 i felt like i think i can further my studies by learning the basic things of lighting design like you know what do you do when you uh first grab a script what are the things that you list down well how do you do a scene breakdown how do you do a needs list how do you talk to rental shop like basically the all, all of the foundation yeah so it's just for me it's like only 11 years because 25 now i'm 32 and so it's not a whole lot i graduated 2017 in nyu tish and now 2020, but 2020 is canceled. Seriously. <laughs> How would you describe your current place in the business, or at least your current place in the business when we were still working? It's basically new works. And by new works, it hasn't been workshop. Before pandemic, I was telling my friends, I was like, I miss doing classic works. I miss doing period. Like, I miss doing Strindberg or like Shakespeare or like, you know. But I find myself in straight new place with urgency to be told right now, not next season, right now. You know, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. If it's like something that is um, very similar to houseplant or like cute activists, it's also calling for urgency. I was supposed to do exception to the rule with Dave Harris and Miranda Heyman. Dave Harris is a playwright, and then Miranda's directing it. It's going to be produced by The Roundabout. But then because of oh, the... Oh, congratulations. Yeah, but because of the pandemic, um, it's going to be pushed a year later. Those are the things that I feel like really excite me because no one, not only no one has done it, but no one knows what we're doing. 
I love it when I don't have a certain st- structure to follow, meaning it's not like scene, transition, scene, transition. Because usually in the new works, some of them are like, you're part of the collaboration how on how the playwright can really integrate transitions. You know, sometimes I receive scripts where it's like, what what are we going to do here? Like, that is a perfect example for one and two. And so then as a lighting designer, it's your job how to funnel those scenes and how you can weave them together. I always come into a show open with more ideas from my collaborators. Can we talk about what to send up process? Absolutely. I'm happy to start getting into what to send up when it goes down. Can you start by telling us what the show is about or what the concept of the show is and the ritual aspects of it? Right. Um, so what to send up, it's a participatory theater where it's healing and celebrating and recognizing and honoring black bodies and what has happened in the past and what is still currently happening right now. So having said that, there's a a lot in the show where it's like choreography, where it's like um, vignettes of like scenes from real life and you do it on stage. And then design-wise, it's semi in the round. It's very spiritual, if I can put it that way. And I think being the lighting designer of that, it's very hard. It's one of the most challenging pieces I've ever done in my entire life, probably, because it demands all the designs to be invisible. How do you mean? Design-wise, we need to step back and we need to decide amongst ourselves that the design is not important in this specific story. We all need to support the actors. We all need to support the choreography. We all need to support the text. If I make something that is so out there, for instance, like I put so much movement with the lighting, I put so much quote-unquote design, it might compete with the text. Because the text is already very powerful. So, you know, when you go into tech, the sound designer Sinan is a good friend of mine. Um, Yushan, congratulations also. She just won the OBs. And Andy Jean, who's doing the, the costumes, plus Whitney White, the director, and Alicia, we're all there in tech. And, you know, every day we're, we're learning that we need to peel it back. We need to peel back. We need to peel back until maybe the last iteration of the play. There's no sound cues. It's only three sound cues. And from lighting, it's all very subtle. And it's, it, it worked that way. I know that you know Mike Baldessari. He's a friend of the show. And several years ago, when I was telling him about an amazing Robert Rizal design I had seen for Bill T. Jones, he said, yes, sometimes the lighting designer's job is just to get out of the way. That's right. And, you know, Robert Rizal is a mentor of mine. He's been my professor for three years and we work together very closely. I think one of the main elements that I had to deal with in that show is like, how do you, you know, you want to be supportive by using the lighting designer's ingredients, like you're in the kitchen. And I think with what to send up, my greatest offer is literally just to support the story by not doing anything. I'm saying by not doing anything, but I still had like 400 cues in that show. And it's so hard because the minute that you put in so much colors, then, oh my God, my eyes are drawn to the the shift of colors. 
and it's not working. We just had to go through that phase where we realized that the sound design needed to step back to, the lighting design needed to step back to, because otherwise we looked like so many chefs in the kitchen with so many dishes. Well, in fact, we just need to make that one dish. Everyone has to be pulling in the same direction. Right, right, uh, right. To, you know, borrow from rowing. Because yeah. I'm sure everyone listening loves to go rowing. So, you know, you said that there are still 400 light cues. So what are you doing there? I'm going to give you some examples of what happened in the show. Like when you come in and, of course, as a spectator attending a show, you would go to a box office and grab your ticket. But for our show, we built an, it's, it's not your receiving hall, but this is where the audience gather. It's like in this exhibit, it's all the photos of all the black people who've passed away and who have been killed by the cops. It's like a hundred, more than a hundred photos. And so in this, like I was thinking in our ritual, while we're receiving the audience, once they grab the tickets, after that process, they're all gathered in this room. And so for me, how am I going to be able to support this? Because a thing that we're also doing is also celebrating their lives. You know, we don't want it to look like a very sad moment, you know, because it's already sad, I think. And so I did this installation that it made it like a centerpiece to the actual room. And then once an actor goes out of the actual theater and receives the audience and welcome them, and then they go through this participatory theater part because an actor will welcome them and then the actor will let them sit down. And so now we're in the stage. Now we're on stage. I did a lot of things which included subtlety and not only by subtlety, with supporting the text you know, you're doing musicals, it's like buttons, it's like bumps. For me, it's just like punctuations to each scene. So we know that, oh, that vignette is done. And then now we're going to go to this other vignette. Because that's how crazy the show is. It's like vignette transition, vignette transition. And it's all over the stage. It's all over the space. Imagine we're in semi in the round. So by supporting the text A... I did pulling a focus where the scene is. I went back to the basic illumination. And I think it wasn't my plan to begin with when I was really imagining what type of show this is. Like in my mind, I was like, oh my God, this is this is going to be so cool. This is what, what it's going to be looking like. Like we'll have fluorescence here and there and then we'll have some footlights. And then as you go through the process... Expand on that. Like, tell me, you know, what was the original thing you thought you were going to do? And then tell me how you honed it down to the thing you ended up with, finally, at Art New York. Well, it ended up being used. I had 40 work lights that I installed on the unistruts of the actual theater. So it looks like it's part. And then I we painted them red. A lot of the audience members who were my friends all thought that it's part of the Art New York. I was like, no, it's part of the design. And then the design of the set... It's literally just a chalk circle. And then the props are three trunks that the actors carry. And then that's it. But then we're surrounded semi in the round with so many love letters to all Black people. So those are the design elements. And then now going through lighting specifically, 
After those 30 work lights, I even added Color 472 underneath the risers. So I was like, oh my God, when they're doing the dance moment, I can bring this up. It's going to look so good because it's going to go through the, the feet of the audience and it's going to cast shadows and then it's going to hit the actors with and then I'm going to create so many shadows. And then I was interested to use the work lights of Art New York. They have 16 fluorescents that will go off if I turn on a switch. And so that was the plan. And I had pocket of lights in the semi in the round. It's like letter U, right? But the acting spaces are also used on each side of those semi in the round. So the acting area is really huge. So you have to be able to illuminate all of those areas. And yeah, so those are all my my first iterations of the plan. I have the installation. I have the work lights of the theater. I have our own work lights that are attached to the walls. I have LEDs on the floor. I have LEDs on, on the grid. Basically, I hung the plot in such a way that we have a chalk circle that it will mirror also whatever you see on the grid. I have LED parts that are also like a huge circle. So it just matches visually. When Once you're there, you see, oh, it's two circles. Circle of literally lights hung on the grid and chalk on the floor. Got it. So then going through the process of taking the show, we didn't realize it at first. There are three movements in what to send up when it goes down. First movement, and then we shift. Second movement, we shift. In each movement, it's all the same. It's like a cyclical graph. Wherever we started in this story, it's all going to end there. Change won't happen until we realize something in our humanity, if that makes sense. So design-wise, text-wise, wherever we started, it's all going to go back there. But... And the third movement is just going to go crazier. And then so, you know, as a lighting designer, I was also thinking in terms of storytelling, my graph. When can I show my, it's a running joke, but if you have $5,000 budget for lighting, when are you going to show off your $4,999? It's like, <laughs> it's like, is it one cue? It's like your surprise for the audience, right? But then in this show, I didn't have that. Because everything is so fluid, everything is so subtle. It didn't have a big bang because the text is already doing that for me. The actors are already doing that for me. So what I ended up doing is like in their choreography, I just supported those to highlight their choreography more. Like, you know, the bumps, the buttons, the of course the transitions. I'm not even worried about time of day in this story. Like there's no yeah. time of day. I'm not even worried about the location. It's all in the mind. So but child, what did you end up doing? It's still pulling focus. I, I ended up not using the color for seventy two because it caught so much attention to the point that oh, is this a musical? You know what I mean? You put on those magenta, those green or like steel blue, you know, it's not the show for that. I totally understand. And I was thinking you went into it thinking, I know it's different, but it's still a musical. But no, it turns out it's really different. And when you convinced someone to spend money on something and then it's like, you know what? That element's not really going to work. We're not really going to use that. You know what? It's just better to remove it than use it because it's there. Right, right. No, it's 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 a learning experience for everyone. Actually, I feel like I became more confident designing shows after what to send up because 
it helped me crush my ego as a lighting designer. Because just imagine you're on a call, you have your backpack with you, ready with all of your tools. And then you you didn't end up using all the tools, except all you needed to do was to showcase your humanity, being kind, being open to maybe this is enough. We don't need so many LEDs. We don't need so many. And it's a and it's it's a process. You don't, you won't realize it day one or day two of tech. And I think what's what's remarkable about that realization is that all the designers realize that it's not just me because then the costume designer needed to scale back too, you know? Just because I've been in situations like this in the past, I'm really glad everyone realized it because it's tough when someone doesn't. You know, can you imagine if one of the designers didn't get it? I'm designing for my portfolio, damn it. And it's like, no. I know, I know, I know. Which I think is also the magic of, of the director, Whitney White, you know? It's like her leadership in terms of our collaboration with the rest of the designers, we, we all sat down and we're like, it's not working. And, you know, right now it's fun to talk about it. But during that time, of course, you're like, it's not working. What? It's not working. Mm-hmm. What? I've done everything. I've done everything. I'm just so lucky that all the people in What to Send Up are the most open people I've ever worked with. Because if they're not, someone won't realize that it's not working. You know, we're going to go back to what you're saying. And I'm just so lucky that we all realize it. If it's my ego talking, I'm going to be like, oh my God, I'm so ready to show off with my Color Force 72. I'm going to, I can even chase those work lights. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I can even, like I have D40s and D60s up in the grid right now. And I got 20 fluorescence light, but... At the end of the day, it's not about me. It's about the show. It's not about lighting design. It's not about sound design. It's about what the actual show is saying, which is the opposite of one and two. And we, and we will get to one and two for sure. I know, I know. It's exciting. It's exciting. So did you have to sell the idea of all of the non-traditional equipment that you were using to anyone? Or was it just, this is the right thing, this is what we're going to do? So the Movement Theater Company is the one who produced the show what to send up and david and deidre are both my colleagues at that time basically it's our first time working together the yeah. three of us two producers two artistic producers and one lighting designer and i needed to talk to i need to have a conversation of course with david deidre my assistant lighting designer and uh, um, production electrician how do how will i explain now the installation my first let's not even go to the needs of the main space let's just talk about the installation i was thinking how am i going to explain my idea and how am i going to be able to just make them buy 20 fluorescents i'm not sure if you've seen it in one of the photos or in my website but the fluorescents look like a chandelier you know and i wrapped it with different gels and it my inspiration was Kehinda Wiley for that fluorescent installation. It, it became the centerpiece. But then pitching that idea to David and Deidre and Whitney, I mean, I looked crazy. We were having a conversation a month ago, looking back to that moment where I was telling them about my idea with the installation. They were all like, what, what are you talking about? Until, you know, I, I had a piece of paper and I just draw it and they just trusted me. You know, in in so many of my shows, 
I needed to earn trust because most of the time I look crazy when I'm talking to them about my ideas. Like, what do you mean about fluorescent installations, Shah? Or what do you mean about like 20 work lights putting in the Unistrat? So here, here comes the grad school part of me where it's like, I have some drawings, I have some drafting that I can show you that it's actually doable, you know? So I, I ended up drawing them and they all thought that it looked great on paper. Now let's see what happens on stage. The expectation from paper on stage is like there's pressure in that. You know what yeah, I mean? I know what you mean. There's that almost horrible moment when someone believes you and goes, yeah, that looks yeah, great. Yeah. Do it. Then it's, oh, okay, I guess I better do this now. Exactly, exactly. And so that was where I was at. They were like, yeah, sure, we're, we're going to buy those materials you want. How do you like to hang those fluorescents? Like, what are the hanging points? And, you know, we went all to the technicalities. And then I, I didn't end up using Color for 72, the one underneath the risers. But it's, it's one of those things where it's like you're prepared as a designer doing a show but at the same time, you have to be prepared as well that you might not end up using some of the equipment that you rented. And it's fine. You just have to have a communication with your production manager because it's always better, I feel like, to be prepared than to ask for more gears, if that makes sense. There's a lot of ways in which the show is non-traditional. What was the tech process like? We've had so much meetings before we even went to the theater that it's like, what does movement one mean in this context? What does movement two mean? What does movement three mean? So going forward with the tech process, we had a paper tech. Usually I don't believe in paper techs, but I was like, yeah, let's do a paper tech. Let's just make sure that we're all like after watching the designer run, let's just make sure that we already kind of know that there's a cue there. Let's not even talk about design or anything because we're past that. I mean, by that time, I, Whitney already knows what my inspirations are or, you know, what I was trying to do. But then paper tech in this context is literally just about like, when do we activate some VOMs or when, when do we activate the upstage? When do we activate the entire area? I think that was really helpful paper tech to actual tech. Whitney and I had so many conversations in the tech process that Alicia Harris was also present in the room. And so finding that right vocabulary for each movement. So let's say movement one, I'm going to go with daylight blue. And then movement two, just so we have a subtle distinction between each movement, I added that shift. Mm-hmm. And then by, by the time we reached movement three, I didn't push it as far, but we just went to from, from daylight to very warm colors. The audience doesn't need to see it, but they just need to feel it, if that makes sense, that there's a weird shift. So the movements, to a certain extent, replicate themselves because it's cyclical, but there are changes. That's right. And those changes are making statements about what's happening in the show. And by extension, what needs to happen to change the cycle. That's right. And the transitions have become the actual punctuation or the period, and then movement two, and then transition, and then movement three. Do you have any more thoughts about that show? Any any other things that you want to mention? I'm I'm just really grateful for that show. It opened my eyes being a lighting designer, being a human being, a 
person of color, being a woman, being queer. I think that show is one of the shows that is the most important in my career, you know? So speaking of important works, uh, I would like to ask you about one and two. I will tell our listeners one and two is named for the fact that one in two black, gay, and bisexual men will be diagnosed with HIV in their lifetime, as per the CDC. And considering that we are now decades from the time when HIV leaped the species gap into humans, it's kind of a shock that after so many years, it's still such a big problem and it, and it, and it touches so many people. That's right. Coming from what to send up and going into one and two... I need to research a lot. And, you know, what's so sad and so maddening is the fact that the two things that are very common in what to send up in one and two is death. Yeah. I get to be very personal with the shows that I'm designing for. And and I'm, I'm really lucky for one and two. We have now I'm collaborating with Justin Ellington, the sound designer, and... Arnulfo Maldonado, the set designer, and Andy Jean doing the costumes. And so, you know, I cannot speak on behalf of Danye, the playwright, but I think the systemic racism on why the numbers are so high with Black people, I think that's what the story is presenting to the spectators. Like, look at the story. It's three Black male bodies on stage on a white background. Well, as I understand it, the, the reason the show has a certain absurdist component to it is because ultimately it's absurd that this is true. That's right. It's almost like it's almost like a joke that it, this is real. That are you kidding me? Right now we're still talking about this. Right now we're not doing anything about it. You know, and I've had the opportunity to be able to attend um, talkback sessions with Danye and. They too needed support, you know, and it's it's very marginalized, this community. They all need to have a voice. And I'm very glad that the new group has found this piece for Danye because when I, when I was doing it, it educated me. And I'm not sure if you know that the story that we're telling is also the life story of Danye, the playwright. So there are moments in tech that he couldn't see it because it's like crazy to see yourself on stage or if you listen to your words on stage. So it was, it's one of those things where it's like as a lighting designer, I needed to support the story. But this time, the difference of my design from what to send up and one and two is so different. How does the play work and how does your lighting support the play? The show is set in a blank room. Whatever that empty space is, whatever that blank room is, you decide as a as an audience member. How the structure of the play works is that Danye will go through so many locations, maybe 200 locations that were in in a center, were in a hookup date. You know, yeah. there's so many locations in in the mind. And I honestly think that the set design is really, it's just really, really good. It's just a white stage with three monitors on the upstage wall. And so it had a bit of a open ceiling. So it wasn't a full ceiling, maybe a six by 10 opening, if, if I remember it correctly. Wow, so generous. <laughs> it's very, it's very tight up there. It's like all the angles should work. So all of my systems are, basically front light 
And thankfully, it's all white, so the light just bounces from the front light. I mean, I didn't have much of, of an angle choice. Um, and so how the structure is like, we're going in the present, going back to the past. So structure of time of day is all absurd. The structure of, of location, it's back and forth. So you can mix in absurdity in that too. Also, in the end, there's a bathtub scene. It's all happening in the mind. The photos I saw of that scene looked amazing. Thank you. We all worked so hard on that one scene. But the structure of the play is so absurd that A, location matters, but does it really matter? You're not trying to literally create lighting for a hookup location. Exactly. It's like, for me, I think what's important is that for the audience to feel what they're seeing, the emotionality of the vocabulary of the lighting is, I think, what I was looking for. If we're in a clinic, well, then maybe it just feels like a clinic. It doesn't need to replicate an actual clinic because it's all absurd at the end of the day. Everything is so stylized. If we're in a club... I gotta, I gotta make it look like a club, but it doesn't need to. It needs to feel like a club more than it needs to look like one. Yeah, it's hard because by the end of the show, they will realize that they're still in the same room where we started. There's no escape in this room. There's no, the audience won't be able to see that there's a door or anything like that. That these three bodies are just there from the beginning of the show until the end of the show. I think also the direction of Stevie Walker Webb is phenomenal because he listens to what the designers had to say. You know, it's one of those plays that it's a new work. Again, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what we're going to be dealing with. When you talk about delivering the feeling of a place, the feeling of being there, rather than the literality of what it looked like to be there, what does that mean to you? And can you give me an example of how you created that? I can give you two examples, actually. But the bathtub scene. You know, when I think about a tub, like I know stage effects or effects are not part of my responsibilities. But this time, just because we're talking about the look... I told the production manager and the director, I was like, what if we have some just a subtle small haze happening so it looks super steamy? In this room, you won't see a mirror or anything. So I feel like once we isolate that tub and, you know, maybe convey the idea that this tub has one window... And, you know, they, the audience, once again, they don't need to see a window. But if they feel that there's some directionality of a light coming through one direction, maybe I'm going to have that aha moment, you know, that moment when you feel like, yeah, I, I, I know that. I, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a, there's a scene that we're at the clinic. The nurse is like taking blood from one of the characters in the story. What is that one element for me that I feel like we're in a clinic, aside from the scrubs that the costumes will be telling? Yeah. Oh, fluorescent. But what about fluorescent? Is it green shifted? Question mark. You know, for me, it's just very simple subtleties from the tub, from the clinic moment. From when we go to the center, when when the characters are having their support group meeting, what does that mean? Or there's a fun club scene 
that's gonna happen and it's so fun because it's only the three of them so just imagine the entire stage becomes a dance floor and in the club scene i was like what is that light that will remind me that i'm in a gay club i'm in a gay bar you know it's like and during that time it's so funny because i just came from um I was lighting a show in Connecticut in Long Wharf Theater. I, I'm going to say this out loud. I know it's recorded, but me and my friends slash collaborators in that show, we went to a gay club where it's like the, the dance floor is um on the basement. Yeah. It's like we're surrounded with Yale students and it's like, oh my God, this is such a good research for me because I'm lighting <laughs> one and two. But then, of course, I'm not telling it to my collaborators at that time because i was like it's not yet publicly out you know i was just like oh my god yeah this is crazy and so you know those old janky rotators it's like a light that has color rotator oh yeah the one where it has the six slots for colors around it and you just and it just spins yeah, yeah. and i was like where can i and then of course there's no safety in this um establishments Yo, the haze is so crazy <laughs> that it's like, is this even safe? Because when you're doing a show, you know, you gotta be... Actors' Equity has all the rules I, about the materials the you can use. I was, I was telling my friends while we were at the club, I was like, yo, if Actors' Equity is here, this, this establishment is gonna be so close right now. <laughs> It's a combo of like laser, of those rotators that I was telling you about. So... And then the amount of face is just crazy. So then I was like, how can I be able to translate this on stage now while I was in one and two? I was like, so I I just talked to the production electrician. First, we found this mini haze. Um, it's very compact. It's like, it's literally this small. I forgot what it's called. And I even forgot who manufactures it. But you can just put it in the tub and then call it a day. Yeah. You don't need those big footprints. Uh, and then we found this, there's no brand. There's no even, it's like this big. And then we put it on the proscenium that will create that thing that I wanted, the color with some gobos that you can. Oh, is it just like a DJ light? It's it's worse than a DJ light. I totally did this on a on a show many years ago. Yeah. I, you know, it was like one of those lights that just it produces a billion little beams of light, and the beams are just the filament of the bulb in it. All I did was I slapped a piece of R one nineteen on it, and I got like a dancing color thing for during the transitions in the show because yeah. the whole show took place in a bar. Yeah, this one is so cool because it it filled up the entire white set. It almost looks like a projection because of those beams. And then we put up some haze and I was like, whoa, this is the actual feeling of a gay club slash bar. I don't know if you go to Stonewall or like Cubbyhole or like Henrietta's, this is it. Like, this is it, you know? Other than the choice to create the feeling of each of these individual locations, what other goals were set and then how did you meet some of the other ones? I think the goal for me is that we have three black bodies on a white background. What does that mean in terms of color mixing? What does that mean in terms of basic illumination? You just have to have a communication with with your director that, you know, there are some scenes that I feel like it's too dark or there are some scenes that I feel like it's too bright. Why don't we do this? And there are very, very intimate moments of 
of some scenes that are like, how do we protect these bodies so then the audience won't, A, see what's really happening. What do you mean see what's really happening? For instance, there's a part where it's like the sex scene. Oh, know? I see. Yeah. How do we how how do we protect them? So then they they still feel that they're safe, that they're um, acting on stage half naked. You know, what about the angle from the balcony? You know, because it's like because they're only wearing boxers. Um, and so that's one. And then number two, of course, the skin tone on a white background. And for me, if every time I light a show, we just need to recognize and acknowledge that challenge on my end. Because then if you if if I tell these things to my collaborators, then they have more patience waiting for me during tech. Every time I say hold please, you know? I, I take it very seriously. I don't take it lightly that we we have to acknowledge the fact that this is this is what I have right now. And for one and two, it wasn't really a challenge in terms of having a white background. It was really difficult at first, but once I was able to balance all the colors, then I'm now just balancing the intensities. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was just playing with the intensities. Um, in one and two, I've used four different shades of white light. Once again, those subtle differences... Because we always go back to the empty space. What was the quality of white in the empty space? You know, in the, just the mind space? The idea of the white light, quote unquote, in that empty space, it's so bright. It's almost like very uncomfortable that everything is seen. And that there's nowhere to hide. You're going to be investigated right now. We're going to be studying your bodies we're gonna be reviving your hard stories from your past to your present that's what it feels like for Got me it. in my mind it's like it's almost like like a psych ward or like an aquarium that we're like we're seeing three fishes uh, you know what i mean yeah some kind of either bright examination yeah. or something yeah. kind of like that exactly exactly so that was i was really latching on to so every time we go back to the reality that's what the audience is going to see. And there, that's also uh, important for the transition of the story's fluidity. Because then by the time we reach the end and then we go back to the empty space. Because that's, you know, it's, it's again, it's a cyclical story. We started here. We're going to end here in this room. But the final look of this room is super bright. It's almost like if we're in a psych ward, now we're in a open stadium where it's like outdoor you know those bank of yeah. lights it's almost like that so i think that's that's what i've done for one and two it's so fun it was so fun doing that show i'm sorry i didn't get to see it we're gonna be all seeing a lot of shows after this pandemic it's just very hard you know right now talking to you about it because it relives so much memories you know talking to you right now makes me feel like a bit emotional too because you miss doing your work you miss you miss being a lighting designer i have found it hard to explain to people who aren't in this business about it gets bonded to your identity and then suddenly you don't know who you are if you're not doing it and i know that i cannot be the only person feeling that way and like flailing that way and feeling this like well who am i without this and it feels like it compresses time and expands time and it's it's i know at least for me it's been honestly extraordinarily difficult 
Me too. And you can't be the only person feeling that way either. I totally hear you about if you're a programmer, if you're an electrician, it just goes beyond that when you're doing theater. Like for me, as a designer, you have to live with the text that you're currently working with, you know? And I feel like this pandemic has taught me a lot of things. Like, you know, at first, the the first few weeks, it was really hard because I didn't have a sense of purpose. I came here to America wanting to learn more about lighting design. Took my MFA for lighting design. Everything is about lighting design. And suddenly, it's been taken out from me. It's like suddenly, this pandemic has stolen my identity because I only know lighting design. And now... Because of this pandemic, I started to realize that what is my purpose again? Like, it's you start to question, there's no sense of purpose anymore. And for me, it was a process too of learning this about myself that, oh, what I can offer is right now kindness, just being cha, not being a lighting designer. Maybe I have more time now with my dog. Or maybe I can, re- you, you know, all, all of the mundane, the banal, the the very basic thing that a human being can do. Yeah, and I'm just very busy with Sea Lighting Foundation. Right, I was going to ask you so, about that because you've created your own foundation. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, Um. so <laughs> it started with my couch because I was like, I needed money. I needed money and I don't know what to do. At that time, I'm talking about like two and a half months ago where it's like I was just sitting on my couch and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive without having food. And let's not even talk about the rent because my top priority at that time when I was sitting on the couch was like, how am I going to eat? And then by this time, my agent and I are already in discussion of postponement of shows here and there. So by this time, I've already read four different emails that each of these shows are slowly postponing or like moving to a year later. And so I was like, I don't know what to do because I've already, you know, we have this resource list of if you're a non-immigrant um, freelance theater, what are the what are the things that are available for you out there in terms of grants? You know, I'm really thankful for Wingspace Theatrical and Indie Theater Fund where they provide $500 micro grant to freelance artists. Wingspace is a wonderful organization. Uh, we, we've actually had a member of Wingspace on the show in the past. All good people, all good friends, all good people. And so they're, they're, they're all doing their best raising funds. And I was like, why don't I just create one? So here comes me. I didn't even know at that time what is GoFundMe. So I put on my profile photo on GoFundMe and saying, hey, I'm Chassie. I'm a lighting designer. I'm under this very specific visa called O1 visa and at that time, you can't apply for unemployment because the government has been really dilly-dallying and wishy-washy about this whole specific nature of what it means for an O-1 or OPT visa to apply for unemployment because it might be a public charge or it might not be at that time. I'm talking about two months and a half ago. And so I did it and there was a button that says add team organizer, add your team members. And then I was like, let me work with Kimiya Nishikawa. She's a set designer and she's a good friend of mine as well. And we both went to NYU together and Kimiya and I, you know, for some reason it was... It was her name that, and it was my friendship with her that I was like, you know what, let's, let, let's do it. 
Because by that time, it's already like what? We already had $1,000 and I had a feeling that it's going to be busy. And so then um, Kimmy and I just started being work partners. And after a week, after seven days, you got $8,000. People are really helping. And in this foundation, I always challenge everyone to be like, well, let's let's define what help means. You know, what is what does it mean to help immigrant theater artists, freelance specifically, with, with O-1 visa? I think the answer to that question is help means sustainability for us. You know, Sea Lighting will give $500 to each individual, but hopefully we can sustain them monthly. And so after this GoFundMe that, you know, it, it blew up, now we have a social media person who does also our graphics and so we invited our other friend Rodrigo Munoz from NYU from Mexico um is helping us yeah and so that's sea lighting foundation right now helping people specifically who are part of theater who's under O1 and OPT visa and right now where the government is at on this story is that they have declared that applying for unemployment benefits are not public charge. However, it imposes risk, which is why so many immigration lawyers are still telling that, yeah, Cha, you can apply, and then I seek another um, lawyer's opinion, Cha, please don't apply. It's it's going to bite you in the back later on. Well, what, what is their concern? Well, the concern is no one knows what, what's happening because of the Trump administration. I see. So, so it's like, Everyone's telling different opinions just to be very safe, you know? Yeah. So again, like, it's so sad because this week, one of my best friends from Johannesburg, last week, actually, she just went home because she couldn't anymore pay rent um, for food. And then one of her friend also from London just went home. And another friend of mine also is going home in two weeks. So there's a lot of going home. And it's hard to accept that fact because you've already decided that New York is going to be your home. I'm here for like seven years now. And then seeing my friends go back to their home countries is very difficult. And sometimes it's like, I wish I can do more. But when you read the description of Sea Lighting Foundation of what we're really doing, we're asking for $180,000. On paper, it looks so big. But in actuality, if you do the math, it's $500 for each artist. And we're dealing with 60 artists for six months. $500 a month is not a lot. It just looks so huge on paper that we're asking $180,000 because we're that ambitious. But if you happen to really think about it, it's $500. It will it will do a lot of things in your monthly income, but it's still not a lot, you know? Oh, totally. I mean, you know, since we've all just lost the additional un- unemployment money per week, you know, it's like at this point, anything is going to help. But, you know, in the situations like you know, the ones you're talking about where people can't even get unemployment or are concerned about getting unemployment. Yeah, $500. Yeah, you're right. It's not very much money, but it might help 
put you over the edge as, as far as paying rent that month or yeah at least for the six months that you're planning to provide funding for yeah i know i i learned about it through playbill and i know i was glad to see that they they pushed it so hard yes if i can take this time to really thank playbill olivia clement the movement too has been there by our side you know um designers like ben stanton Clint Ramos, David Sin, all of these people are just really in support. And when I say in support, all it takes is for you to spread the word on your social media. You know, like I think that's what I'm learning right now is the power of social media. You know, when, when people share and repost, suddenly we see our, our account it's like going up with the numbers of donations. Yeah. You know, and I'm learning too that. All of the people who are donating are all our people, meaning they're A, from theater, A, they're our age, or some legit Broadway designers. We Right now, we're in the, mo- we're in the process of really looking for rich people. I am married to a development professional. I think you mean high net worth individuals. That's that, correct. That is what they call them. High net worth individuals. You know, we, we, we need to tap into those people. So we're going to, after this this podcast, I'm going to research. This leads me to a, a question that I have sometimes about the way we talk about uh, opportunity. There's such an aversion to talking about money and what it means and how it can be a barrier to people joining the business or staying in the business. You know, you talked about people having to leave the country. You know, and I'm guessing in some cases that's going to be permanent. You know, they are abandoning a career and a home. The hardest part for me was when I was helping my friend pack to go back to her home country because it's also a state of mind, right? That you go to a country, you leave your home country, you go to a new one, and you're like, you're going to be telling your mind, you're going to be telling your everything that this is my home now. And then you pursue that and then having no means to live you just gotta go back to your home country and it's so sad and i would propose it's not just the individuals that are suffering you know so let's take you for example you know you've now earned a mfa from nyu you've proven your extensive abilities in lighting these important works you're doing work that is being recognized as excellent and the business itself will suffer if you have to leave the industry and the business overall suffer from people who are talented and able from them not being able to continue in their career. I mean, I'm glad that you recognize that. I'm glad that you acknowledge that because I just hope the American theater will realize that non-immigrant international or immigrant people, we need your help. And we offer something that is ultimately fresh from our culture. And I feel like that's what makes America and theater, you know, it's these offers from different point of views, you know, that's what makes it really magical in terms of collaboration. So can you tell me a little bit about your sources of inspiration? What art and artists have you been moved by? And you know, where else you gather information from? Some of the inspirations that I feel like I just always think about when it comes to process is Yayoi Kusama, installation slash painter slash activist artist, Twyla Tarp, who's a dancer. Because of I think it's it's not related to lighting, but the process and the life story, Patty Smith. I feel like they influence me in a way that it's about 
life. It's about the way you think as an artist. It's about the process of having a dis of having some sort of discipline in your daily life of how you can implement your process. I think we're all going to go back to what you were saying earlier, that it's all weaved together, you know, our personal life and our work are all weaved together. And it's not just a job. It's actually a lifestyle, you know, which is why I think the pandemic is extra harder for the two of us because it's, it's again, more than just a job. You breathe it, you live it, you know. So those are, for me, the, the most influential artists. They inspire me on how to really think about lighting and how to really think about life itself. If it's installation, of course, it's James Durrell. You know, you're going to be seeing those artists. But I feel like we all get it, you know, how beautiful their creations are. But I'm mostly towards on the other side where it's more personal, you know, Yayoi Kusama. Mm-hmm. It's like from Japan, but I'm from the Philippines. You know, it's like Twyla Tarp. Her, she's a dancer, but at the same time, her discipline. She wakes up at like 5 a.m., you know, boil two eggs and go to the gym. You know, it's like that kind of artist really influenced me because I feel like I take everything seriously. You know, for me, it's like a lot of people think that I'm so fun, which is true. <laughs> but at the same time, they don't see the other side of me where it's like I wake up 6.30 in the morning. You know, I have my routine ready. And it's incorporated in my lifestyle. So if if 1 o'clock we're ready to roll for tech, I'm going to make sure I'm ready for that. So it's just being a lighting designer, I feel like it requires so much. It's beyond lighting. It's beyond technicalities. It's beyond the gel colors. It's it's a lifestyle. It's it's ever growing. It doesn't stop. You know, you need to be open to different kinds of ideas. And even if you know what you think you know, how do you break it this time? How do you make it more absurd? Or how do you deconstruct? You know, it's ever evolving, which is why I love lighting. It's so abstract. You can't even touch it. If people want to see your work, if they want to see some of your portfolio or other stuff you've done, where can they do that? They can go to my website, seelightingdesign.com, and call my agent, Jamie K. Phillips. I love I love my agent so much. And um, yeah, so they can get in touch with my agent, Jamie K. Phillips of United Talent Agency. And follow me on Instagram. Okay. What's your, what's your Instagram? <laughs> My Instagram is cthrew, spelled as S-E-E-T-H-R-U-U-U, cthrew. All right. We'll put a link up to that into your website. Yes. Yes. Cha, thank you so, so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Casting Light Podcast. Visit us on the web at castinglightpodcast.com. Use the contact form there to let us know what you think. And you can also check out all of our previous episodes there. We're on Instagram at Podcasting Light. We tweet at Podcasting Light. And we're on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. Our theme music is Color Me Dead by The Lame Drivers. The Casting Light Podcast is a production of Casting Light Incorporated. I'm your host, Jason Marin. Thanks for listening. Have a great show.